a major section of the book of Acts as the gospel um, has been spreading to Judea and Samaria, as Jesus said that it would. And starting in our text today and moving forward into the next chapters, we are headed toward the ends of the earth. The gospel is going specifically to the Gentiles, uh, starting primarily in Acts 10. And so that's where we're headed, that's where we're going, and as we kick off this next section of Acts, uh, we're going to read together Acts 9, verses 32 through 43. Um, If you're able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Acts 9, starting in verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping, and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We know the world of Acts 9. We know the world of Acts 9. A world that is broken by sin. A world that is marked by sickness and death. And when I say we know the world of Acts 9, I don't just mean people. I mean Rocky Point. We know the world of Acts 9. I mean, after all, even as I say these words, we're living in a pandemic that isn't just global, but very personal for all of us. 
Many of us in this room have had a disease that didn't even exist just over a year ago. Many of us have lost loved ones to this disease. But not even that. If there was no pandemic going on, just in the last couple of weeks in our church, we have felt deeply the world of Acts 9. Doctor's visits, tests, diagnoses, funerals, I know I'm looking at a room of people that is still feeling shockwaves from recent experiences with the world of Acts 9 that is marked by sickness and death. We know the world of Acts 9. So Acts 9 is not here to inform us of that which we already know. And Acts 9 is also not here to give us a false hope that if we just play our cards right, we'll get a pass on the brokenness that the rest of the world experiences. So why is this passage here? Because people who know the world of Acts 9 need the Lord of Acts 9. As we encounter sickness and death, we need the Lord who has authority over every sickness who has authority over even death. As we suffer and mourn, we need the Lord who is full of compassion on those who suffer and mourn. I believe that this passage is here in the Bible and it's here for us today to invite us to turn to the healer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's walk through these two stories that our text includes. Uh, the sermon's going to be divided into two sections. Uh, first, the healed, Aeneas and Tabitha. We're going to walk through the text. And then I want to consider the healer who Jesus is, who he reveals himself to be in this passage. So first of all, the healed. Verse 32 of this passage introduces us to Peter. It doesn't introduce us. We've seen Peter in Acts before. We saw him last in chapter 8. Uh, and uh, back then he was with John and going down to Samaria to check out the spread of the gospel that was happening among the Samaritans. And it seems like something similar is happening here with Peter as he is, according to verse 32, going here and there among them all. Uh, among them all is uh, a reference back to verse 31, where we 
heard about the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. So it seems like Peter and the other apostles are going around and checking in on all of the various churches that have been scattered throughout this region. And uh, what we see, even just in that first verse that's really just setting up the rest of the scene, is Jesus' ongoing care for his churches through the ministry of the apostles. Well, so as Peter is going here and there, he comes to a town in Judea called Lydda. Lydda. And there he runs across a man named Aeneas. We're not told a whole lot about Aeneas. We're not even told a whole lot about Peter and Aeneas' interactions. But what we are told is that this was a man who knew great suffering. For eight years, day in, day out, he experienced paralysis. He was bound to his bed, experiencing the the discomfort, the inconvenience of this suffering for eight years. We're not told a lot about what Peter and Aeneas said to one another, but we are told this very important thing in verse 34, that Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. After eight years of suffering, after eight years of paralysis, he was healed. And who healed him? Not Peter. Jesus Christ healed him. Just like back in chapter 3 when Peter and John met the man on the way to the beautiful gate, He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Jesus is the one who heals. Peter, just like back in chapter 3, here in chapter 9, Peter is a representative of the healer, Jesus. We see then the result of this miraculous healing in verse 35. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. The result of this healing was that people turned to the healer. They saw his glory on display and they turned to the glorious one. Jesus, in his kindness, was checking in on his churches through the ministry of the apostle. Jesus, in his kindness, cared for Aeneas and healed him. And Jesus, in his kindness, revealed to the citizens here, not only in the town of Lydda, but in the region called Sharon. He revealed himself. He revealed who he is, what he can do in such a way that they had the opportunity to turn to him and come to know him. His kindness to them led them to repentance. It led them to turn to the healer of this man. Luke turns our attention then to another town of the region of Sharon, the town Joppa. Joppa was on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And there in the region of Sharon, there in the town of Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. What we're told about Tabitha is that she was known for being used greatly by Jesus. 
She bore fruit in her life of good works, acts of charity. She cared for the people in her world. But Tabitha became sick, and Tabitha died. What's interesting is Luke tells us that they didn't bury her body. They placed her in an upper room. Likely, this is because they heard that Peter was in the area. And they were praying for a miracle. In any case, they did know that Peter was in the area one way or another, and they sent to him. They called him to come to Joppa. And so Peter comes. And if Peter arrives, he goes to the upper room, and he's met by widows. And these widows show Peter these clothes that Tabitha had made. We're told that she performed acts of charity, and it's very likely that these were clothes that Tabitha had made to provide for these widows who were without physical means. And so this loss that these mourning sisters were experiencing was was great as they felt the impact of this sister Tabitha that they had loved so much and had meant so much to them, had been so used of the Lord in their lives. We see in Tabitha's ministry to these women, the kindness of Jesus toward these widows. Through the fruit that Tabitha bore in her life, these widows were cared for. So Peter sends everyone out, and he gets down on his knees. Because again, Peter knows who the healer is. He prays to Jesus. He asks Jesus to do what he can do. And after turning to the Lord, Peter turned to Tabitha's body and he said, Tabitha, arise. And he took her hand. She opened her eyes and she raised up out of the death that she had slept in. We see the result in verse 42, very similar to what we saw in Lydda. Verse 42, it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Just as with Aeneas, this resurrection of Tabitha also became known. The news spread, and when the news spread, the effect was that people believed in Jesus. They saw the healing, they turned to the healer. They saw the resurrected Tabitha, and they turned to the resurrected Christ. They believed in Jesus. And again, Jesus shows kindness to these people in this region by revealing who he is through the miracle that he performs in Tabitha. He shows off who he is so that the people who see the miracle would turn to the miracle worker, would turn to Jesus, the Lord, over sickness and death. Then, in verse 43, uh, Luke gives us sort of an epilogue as he tells us about how Peter stayed in Joppa with Simon the Tanner. And we'll talk more about the significance of that verse next week. But for now, what we need to realize is that Luke is telling us, next time you're looking for Peter, 
Now you know where to find him. Keep that in mind for next week. So we've seen the healed. Aeneas. Tabitha. We've seen Peter used in these things. We've seen his widows and those who observed. But the main character of this story is Jesus. The hero of this text is Jesus. And truly, the main character of Acts is Jesus. Luke tells us as much in the very beginning of Acts, in Acts 1, verses 1 and 2. He writes to the recipient of Acts, Theophilus, and he says, In the first book, that is the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And what Luke suggests to Theophilus is that this next book that you're about to read is Jesus continuing his work. He's continuing to do. And specifically in our text today, what Luke wants Theophilus to see, what Luke wants us to see, is that this is Jesus continued. Now, on one level, we have that right here in the text. Peter says, Jesus Christ heals you. Jesus is the one who is doing the healing, the action in this passage. Uh, Peter prays and asks Jesus to resurrect Tabitha. So right there in the text, we have Jesus being the main character. But also, in this text, we have echoes from Jesus' earthly ministry. Echoes of stories that Luke already wrote about in his first volume. So, for instance, the healing of Aeneas echoes the healing of the paralytic in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. There, Jesus encountered a paralyzed man who was also bound to his bed. His friends lowered him through a hole in the roof. Jesus said to that man, Rise and pick up your bed, just like Peter told Aeneas to rise and make his bed. And just like uh, in our story today, back in Luke 5, those who saw what happened glorified God because of this miracle. So there's an echo of Jesus' ministry. This is Jesus continued. Then in the raising of Tabitha, we see an echo of the raising of Jairus' daughter. Luke 8, 41 through 56 records how Jairus had a daughter who was sick and died like Tabitha was sick and died. Jesus only let a limited number of people in the room when he went to heal her, just like Peter sent everyone out of the room. Interestingly, Peter was in the room that day that Jairus' daughter was raised. As Jesus raised her to life, he also took her hand. And he said, child arise, which in Aramaic would have been Talitha, arise. So as Peter says, Tabitha, arise, he's literally echoing the words of Jesus. Because what Luke is trying to tell us as he records these stories in Acts 9 is this is Jesus continued. This is not Peter. This is not something new. This is Jesus continued. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the main character. Jesus is the hero of this passage. And just like the people in Lydda turned to him, just like the people in Joppa believed in him, Jesus is inviting us to turn to him.
to turn to the healer. I want to talk about three truths that this passage teaches us about the healer. Three truths about the healer, Jesus. First of all, we can see in this passage, Jesus has authority over sickness and death. Jesus has authority over sickness and death. Jesus has authority over sickness. In Exodus 4.11, the Lord told Moses, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? When Saul Paul had a physical affliction, it was to Jesus that he pleaded to take it away. He knew that Jesus had the authority to give it, and he had the authority to take it away. And that's where Jesus says to him in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus has authority over sickness. And what we see in our passage is that when Jesus, who has authority, wants to heal a paralyzed man, that man gets up. Because Jesus has authority over sickness. Jesus also has authority over death. The Lord said in Deuteronomy 32, 39, see now that I, even I am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill, and I make alive. I wound, and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. In Revelation 1, when Jesus appeared to the Apostle John, he said, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. In Acts 9, we see Tabitha. Tabitha died under the authority of Jesus, and Tabitha rose under the authority of of Jesus, because Jesus has authority over sickness and over death. When we experience sickness and death, it feels like things are out of control. When countless tests come back with no answers, it feels like things are out of control. When teams of doctors are assigned to your case and they still struggle to know what to do, it can feel like things are out of control. When a loved one is hurtling toward death and nothing seems to slow it down, it can feel like things are out of control. When a person is healthy one day and gone the next, it can feel like things are out 
of control. But the Lord Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne of heaven. There is not a single cancer cell that does not bow to the lordship of Jesus. And at the end of our lives, we will not have taken one breath more or one breath less than Jesus ordained for us before the foundation of the world. Even when it feels like things are out of control, we can have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ who has authority over sickness and death. A second truth about the healer Jesus Christ Jesus has compassion on the needy. Jesus has compassion on the needy. Jesus showed compassion on Aeneas as he healed him of this ailment that had plagued his life for eight years. Like Jesus showed compassion in Matthew 14, verse 14. He went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus also showed compassion in the story of Tabitha, particularly toward these widows and mourners who had lost, lost this sister who meant so much to them. And we see in that an echo of another story that Luke told us about Jesus' earthly ministry in Luke 7, uh, verses 13 through 15. Uh, Jesus encounters a widow who was getting ready to bury her only son. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. And then he came up and he touched. And the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother, like Peter presented Tabitha to those who were mourning her loss. Jesus shows compassion on the needy in our text. And Jesus is full of compassion toward you and your suffering your mourning. But I think the greatest act of compassion that Jesus demonstrates in our text is compassion toward what I believe is the greatest need in our text. And it was in the people of the region of Sharon. I already mentioned before how Jesus showed kindness to these people by revealing who he was that they might turn to him and place faith in him. But I want to just even dig a little deeper into just what kind of kindness Jesus is showing to these people 
by revealing who he is. Uh, These, again, were residents of Judea. Well, I mentioned at the very beginning, uh, at this point, where we're going in the book of Acts is we're going past Jerusalem, past Judea, past Samaria. We're going to the ends of the earth. We're going to the Gentiles. That's where we're headed. That's where the gospel is going. And not only is that just the next stop on the journey, but also among the Jews and Judea and Galilee and Samaria, where it was a predominantly Jewish area, among the Jews, there had been great salvation, but there was also great rejection of Jesus by those especially who were the leaders of the Jews. And so Jesus is rejected there. That's, after all, what brought this persecution upon the church and scattered them throughout the region. So it seems that even uh, by the will of the Jewish leaders, the gospel is leaving Jewish territory and going on to the Gentiles. But right here, as we're starting to move toward the Gentiles, there's some more people in Judea who need to be saved. Jesus does not abandon the residents of Judea, even as the gospel continues to spread. And this is a reality that is true all throughout Acts, uh, even to the end of Acts. Flip over to the very end of Acts in chapter 28. In chapter 28, Saul, who at this point is called Paul, is under house arrest in Rome. And there, while he's in house arrest, the local leaders of the Jews in Rome come and pay him a visit. Verse 23 of Acts 28. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said. But others disbelieved, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. So here, this is a, 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 an opportunity for, for Paul and, and then for Luke to demonstrate that what was happening among the rejection of Jesus by the Jews opened up the door for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. Jews rejected, therefore salvation has gone to the Gentiles. The Jews have, have closed their eyes, they've closed their ears, they're not willing to understand. However, even in this passage that's about that, well, what prompted that? was the disbelief of those who were with Paul. Even in this text, we're told some were convinced. We see the grace of Jesus even in the midst of widespread rejection of him. He might be rejected by certain people, 
But Jesus never turns away from someone who turns to him in faith. Even here, people turn as he opens their eyes, opens their ears, and he heals them. He saves them. And in our text, here in Lydda, here in Joppa, Jesus shows the greatest compassion in this text toward the people in this region who were far from him, who didn't know him, who were in need of a savior. And he revealed, I am the Messiah. By healing the sick and doing what only he can do, he revealed, this is who I am. I am the savior of the world. By raising Tabitha, Jesus revealed to the people in this region, I am the Messiah. I can heal the dead. I can save all who turn to me in faith. We see this, the greatest healing that takes place is as people turn and their hearts are healed. And they go from being dead in sin to then receiving the greatest resurrection, being made alive in Christ Jesus. Jesus shows the great compassion of the gospel to the people who witness what he does. And as he heals, these people turn to the healer and find forgiveness of their sins, resurrection in their souls, eternal life, and a redeemer full of compassion. Jesus has compassion toward those who suffer. He has compassion toward those who mourn. And when you're suffering and your mourning cause you to doubt that Jesus has compassion for you, all you have to do is look to the cross. Remember the compassion he showed by dying for his enemies. Remember in those moments when you doubt your your Lord's compassion for you. Uh, remember your baptism. Remember how Jesus brought you out of death and into life. You personally. How he showed compassion on you, the individual, by saving your soul. Jesus has great compassion toward you. The Lord who has authority over sickness and death, the Lord who is in control of all things, is a Lord whose heart is filled with love that he has demonstrated in his salvation. A third truth about the healer, Jesus Christ. Jesus will heal and raise all who turn to him. Jesus will heal and raise all who turn to him. Now to be clear, what I'm not saying, what this text is not teaching, it's not teaching that if we just have enough faith, then we'll be rid of our sicknesses. If we just have enough faith, then maybe my dead loved one will be raised. 
that is not what the Bible is teaching here. That's not what the Bible ever teaches, and that's not what point I'm making. No, the, the healings and the resurrections we see in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and Acts here, are not meant to give us what we should expect in this broken world. They are exceptions to what we experience in the broken world, not expectations for us of what is normal life in a world cursed by sin. But what these healings and resurrections in the New Testament reveal to us is something significant about Jesus. The healings and resurrections in the New Testament are foreshadows, foretastes of the final healing that Jesus will bring to all who trust in him. They're foreshadows of the day that he will resurrect all who trust in him to eternal life. In these moments, as these people are experiencing the brokenness of the world caused by sin, for just a brief moment, Jesus shows reversing the curse. He shows what the new creation is going to look like when the world is no longer cursed by sin, but when he breaks in and he restores all things. He's giving a foretaste of the final healing, the final resurrection to immortal bodies. Jesus has purchased total healing and eternal life for all of his people. Isaiah 53, verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. That is, he dealt with the root cause of the brokenness in the world. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The healing and the resurrection that Jesus purchased are certain promises for the future when Jesus returns and we're resurrected. Revelation 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. There is a day coming when Jesus will heal and raise all who turn to him in faith. We are not promised healing or resurrection in this life, but we are promised healing and resurrection in the future. And our passage today reminds us, it gives us a hint at that final healing and resurrection. So does that mean that it's, if we're not promised healing in this life, but we are promised healing in the future, does that mean that it's wrong to pray for healing? No. No. Uh, John Piper puts it very well when he says this. It is right and good to pray for healing. God has purchased it in the death of his son, with all the other blessings of grace for all his children. But he has not promised 
that we get the whole inheritance in this life. And he decides how much and when. It is not wrong to pray for healing. We want healing. We long for healing. And God in his compassion and kindness often gives healing for his glory. But our greatest confidence comes not from what Jesus might do in the present, but from what Jesus absolutely is certain to do in the future. The future that Jesus has promised us gives us hope in the present, and it gives us a right perspective on the present. Flip with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses 13 through 18. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence for it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of god so we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light Momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. When we compare the suffering that we experience in this life to the eternal glory that awaits us in Christ, our suffering appears light and momentary. If we have repented of sin and turned to Jesus, if we have trusted him to save us to reconcile us to god we will be raised we will be healed we will put on immortality and best of all what this passage reminds us is that jesus will bring us into his presence the greatest blessing that jesus ever gave to us is himself so entrust your sickness to the lord who heals 
entrust your life to the Lord who raises the dead. We are not promised healing in this life. We are not promised resurrection in this life. What we are promised, though, is that the Lord who will heal us and the Lord who will raise us is the Lord who is with us now, even as we walk through the suffering and mourning and sickness and the encounters with death of this broken world. We continue to walk through the broken world of Acts 9. The world tainted by sin. In which we groan with all of creation. But as we walk through the world of Acts 9. May we each turn to the Lord of Acts 9. The Lord who has authority over sickness and death. The Lord who is full of compassion on the needy. And the Lord who will heal and raise all who turn to him. So turn to the healer. Better than healing is the healer. Better than even resurrection is the resurrected Lord. And he is with us now. Even as we long for the day that we see him face to face. Let's pray together. Father, you have given us a gift today by reminding us of who Jesus is. Lord, I pray that we have seen your word just as Dalen prayed this precious revelation of yourself that you have given to us. Lord, I pray that we've seen Jesus. Lord, that our hearts are drawn toward him. And Lord, I pray that we would enjoy his nearness even now while we long for the day. That all sickness is gone and behind us all death is no more and we get to experience the unfiltered glory of our Lord Lord increase our longing for that day and may it change the way that we live here and now in Jesus name we pray